You're listening to We, we, we the Aether Podcast, within and without. Welcome. Mr. Simland, hope you've been doing well. I've seen you've been very busy with uh, some of your speaking events and your YouTube channel and uh, your Instagram and all that social media stuff. Uh, so I wanted to get you on here and have this chat because I think a lot of people would be interested in what you are uh, all about, really, with biohacking, autophagy, intermittent fasting, just health, wellness. Uh, even just with me putting on the Instagram story, I'm getting a lot of people asking a lot of questions. So I'll go through those after uh, towards the, I guess, the tail end of our conversation. And you can hopefully address some of those people's questions. Uh, but just to kick things off, do you mind briefly introducing yourself, uh, what it is you're involved in, what it is you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, glad to be back on the show. And uh, like you said, I, I'm doing essentially biohacking, which can be like a very nebulous term, and it can mean many, many different things for different people. But for me, it's essentially just uh, optimizing my health as well as performance with the help of like technology, science, and uh, this sort of uh, natural way of living. And uh, yeah, like uh, essentially, I cover content about nutrition, different dietary hacks, uh, different ways to improve muscle mass, burn fat, live longer, uh, how do you optimize sleep, and uh, all these different types of ways of just being like a more functional like, human being and being uh, healthier. Mm-hmm. And what drives you to do that? Like, What drives you to be to reach your peak levels of performance and uh, just be that, that top-level functioning human being? <laughs> Well, yeah, like I think, uh, I think uh, it's essentially just being very diligent with the time that I have in this world, so to say. So the most valuable resource all of us have is our time, and we don't really get get it back. And uh, usually, like the biggest regrets people have on their deathbed is that they're not living to their fullest, or they're just uh, being regretful of some things they didn't do. So I don't really want to have that feeling and i and I, I can already like a pre pre uh pre forecast myself into the future that I, I, and i would know that if i didn't do something if i didn't live up to my fullest potential then i would regret it quite a lot in in my later years and i just don't you know i kind of acknowledge myself that yeah uh, in order to live a more fulfilling life and in order to be happier then i would just have to uh yeah take my time seriously and as well as my health seriously so to say so your health is probably the second most important thing in your life. And uh, in turn, if you take care of your health, then you can actually have more time. <laughs> you can live longer and uh, you can be more productive and you will just enjoy the process much more thoroughly as well. But in the, in the, in the example of me doing content online, then I'm doing it as a way to uh, just share my experiences and like earn, earn a living out of it, so to say. Um, that's why, that's why I've, kind of created my own personal brand and uh, doing this speaking and writing books and those sort of things and programs so that I could just keep on doing it and kind of fully dedicate myself to this craft of uh, like writing and uh, content creation. Mm-hmm. It seems like you do create a lot of content as well. Even your book, your, your book on autophagy is quite thick. It looks to be pretty in depth. And I wanted to ask you, do you find that you get a lot back from speaking with people? I know you spoke with David St. Clair recently. Uh, who's a health and longevity expert, uh, which is very in line with what you do. So I'm just wondering if you get anything back from doing your research, from creating content, if you're constantly learning, or if you feel that there's sort of everything's already been learned to date in that field and there's not too much, it's a little slow. So I'm just wondering how much. Yeah, well, I think I'm learning everything or I'm learning um, 
something uh, every day all the time so to say that there isn't a day that i don't learn like a new some you know mechanism in the body or some study that you just came out or whatever or just learning more about myself and how my mind works and all the things so it's it's definitely like a constant never-ending uh, process and i think that's that's how it's supposed to be as well because you know otherwise if you think that you've reached this pinnacle of achievement or that you've reached the ultimate knowledge and that you gained all of the knowledge, then that's the moment you're actually going to realize that it's, there's so much more to learn. And uh, th- those things, those, that kind of like an arrogant mindset, it will often just bite back at you. And it's definitely much more, um, much more important to stay more humble, uh, but at the same time have the like, I don't know, courage or, uh, you know, yeah, like the willingness to just keep on going despite, despite the fact that it may be like difficult at times and at times it can be like uncertain or confusing, so to say. You always have to kind of push through it and uh, keep on going no, just, just to, yeah, like, like I said, to, because if you don't take action and if you don't keep learning, then you're never really like reaching your fullest potential because your potential is like an, it's, it's unachievable in the sense that there's always something to improve upon. Mm-hmm. I find a lot of people do get static in their behaviors and just their lifestyle. They don't constantly try to evolve themselves. They see themselves as this fixed, rigid thing that's, that's not constantly improving. So it's great that you feel that way. And on, on that note, I wanted to ask you, if, if you have any goals that you currently set out for yourself, and, and the second question to that is, how do you go about setting goals for yourself? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I usually do set like a few goals uh, for um, like I, I kind of differentiate them or categorize them into different groups. Like there are, you know, these large, I call them meta goals, you know, your life purpose and those sorts of things that are that are achieved over the course of decades and centuries, so to say. And or you could call it like a legacy, that, 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 that type of thing. But there are also like smaller goals, you know, um, goals that you achieve over the course of you know the coming five years and definitely annual annual goals and then like monthly goals and weekly goals and that sort of thing so uh for this remainder of this year i've set myself the goal to try to reach uh 100 000 subscribers on youtube so currently i've been at 92,000, and uh it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be like a rush i'm not sure if it's if i'm going to make it but i'm definitely not going to try to not make it so i'm not gonna slow down so i'm gonna definitely keep on trying to reach that goal and uh yeah well like when it comes to the next year then i'll probably have the goal of uh, publishing my next book and uh, yeah just oh i like to i like to i like i prefer more of like a systems-based approach of uh, looking at what kind of systems can I create into my daily habits and routines that would just enable me to reach the goals uh, on like an autopilot, so to say. So in order to write a book, then you have to have like a system for writing something every day almost. And uh, if, for in, for example, in the, in the example of weight loss, then in order to lose weight, then you have to do something every day that would uh, help you to reach that goal faster. So yeah, like doing cardio, doing weights, tracking your nutrition, paying attention to stress and sleep. So everything has to be like a system in, in a sense that would support the achievement of that goal. And uh, yeah, that, that's what, that's what I like to do. Like on a daily basis that, that I'm following certain structures and routines that uh, essentially help me to reach those goals. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And I like how you alluded to the fact that you've got to do this, whatever it is every single day. So if you set a goal, 
you know, be it weight loss or, you know, achieve more subscribers or some sort of financial gain. Yeah. Like you need to work towards it every single day. It's not one of those things you can just put down and like stop uploading your content because then you're obviously not going to reach that goal. So it makes total sense. Um, so on the note of your content, you do talk a lot about autophagy and intermittent fasting. Some people watching this might not be familiar with what autophagy and intermittent fasting are, also known as time-restricted eating. Would you mind just elaborating on autophagy a little bit? Yeah, well, uh, autophagy translates into self-eating, and it's this silver process where your uh, old and uh, worn-out dysfunctional cell parts are being recycled into energy. So uh, you can think of it as like taking out the trash, and uh, this sort of you know housekeeping has many longevity-boosting benefits. Uh, mainly, just removal of waste and uh, like this debris, but it also is very interconnected with many other. Uh, cellular processes such as like burning fat, uh, reducing inflammation, fighting inflammation, and yeah, like neuroprotection and etc. So autophagy is very, it's like a very um, intricate part of uh, healthy living at the same time. Uh, but it's also like um, useful for uh, promoting lifespan and increasing longevity in many species. Mm-hmm. And the basic concept of it is really you're just not eating for prolonged periods of time. Is that right? And then you're sort of having one meal or two meals per day or over a 48-hour period. Is that how it works? Uh, well, you can activate autophagy in many ways. Like um, the main idea is to create energy stress and a nutrient deprivation on your body. So you can do that with like fasting. You can do that with exercise. You can mimic that to a certain extent with uh, carbohydrate restriction and keto, keto, ketogenic diets. But you can also do it with like drinking coffee or uh, green tea and other these polyphenols. So yeah, there are different you know degrees of autophagy and different forms of it, like dozens of different types. But the main message is that yeah, like once your body is experiencing higher levels of energy stress then that's going to gradually start to ramp up the autophagy process because your body goes into like this survival mode almost where it's you know forced to salvage the uh, energy and the, the other dysfunctional parts that it has just you know laying around. Mm-hmm. And now would you mind just letting an opinion on perhaps even dispelling the myth that when you do these things that you start to have your body starts to eat away your muscle and you start to actually lose muscle mass because anytime I speak with someone that's not familiar with intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, uh, or autophagy, they seem to think that, oh, don't you lose muscle when you don't eat? Don't you go into starvation mode? This is this huge thing that people always talk about. So if you mind just elaborating a bit on, on that. Yeah, so, yeah, it can definitely happen in, to a certain extent. So um, if your body isn't able to tap into its own energy stores and backup fuel, then like the, it's inevitably going to have to use some of its own muscle tissue and vital organs to create that energy. So let's say your body has primarily two main fuel sources, uh, one of them being carbs and glycogen, and the second one being fat and ketones. So you, you carry around thousands and thousands of calories with you all the time in your body fat. And uh, your glycogen stores, on the other hand, are quite limited. So up to like 2,000 calories. Uh, is the maximum for glycogen for uh, most people. And uh, whenever you're fasting, then uh, your liver glycogen tends to gradually decrease. And once that is fully depleted, then you shift over into burning fatty acids and ketones for fuel. So ketones coming from your own body fat, they get converted into energy. And uh, But the problem is that if, if a person isn't able to make that shift, 
then they're still going to be staying in that glycogen state of using glycogen for fuel. So they're in the quote-unquote sugar-burning mode and they're using glycogen for fuel. But if the body's depleted of that glycogen while they're fasting, then yeah, the next best thing for creating glycogen comes from converting muscle tissue into glucose through the process of gluconeogenesis. Uh, and, you know, yeah, the problem is that if a person isn't able to shift into ketosis while they're fasting uh, or they're like just not adapted to using fat for fuel, then the degree of muscle catabolism would be higher versus someone who is already used to fasting to a certain extent and they're like, their their body is metabolically flexible and efficient at swapping fuel sources, then the the rate of muscle loss and catabolism would be much lower. So the problem isn't that the body is inherently going to lose muscle while fasting. The problem is that most most people aren't metabolically flexible enough to make the shift, so to say, because in the past, uh, or let's say on an, on an aboriginal, aboriginal diet or an ancestral type of diet where the carbs aren't overly abundant uh, and the people aren't eating like excessive amounts of calories either, then for them, the shift is uh, naturally going to happen much easier because they're never really going too far away from their like the the body's uh, default setting, so to say. And the, in the modern world, people are just uh, eating too many carbs; they're eating too frequently, and that that decreases their metabolic flexibility, and therefore they suffer, you know, hunger in between meals. They suffer sugar cravings. They suffer brain fog when they skip meals, and uh, those sorts of things, and including muscle loss. But it doesn't really make sense that humans in the in the nature would uh, experience those things or that, that, that would have to happen because uh, our body is very adaptable to uh, energy stress and starvation where, you know, we've evolved over the course of over the course of eons of starvation all the time and, you know, food deprivation. So it's it's just it's it's just the aspect that the body has to be taught how to become more keto adapted and fat adapted and to also just to become more metabolically metabolically flexible and the way you do it is just gradually increasing that metabolic flexibility by doing some form of intermittent fasting as well as exercise and just being more mindful of how many carbs are they eating and uh, not eating like just around the clock Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you kind of answered my second question there was how, how would someone get involved into it? But you're saying it's a gradual, gradual process. So what would be the starting point? Would they start with like a 16-hour fast and, and an eight-hour eating window as, as a gradual start? Or do you think they should start with even like a, a shorter um, fasting period? I think uh, it yeah, depends a lot on the person and uh, how what kind of a state are they coming from. So usually like if you're not having done any fasting beforehand beforehand then it's gonna just be more difficult for you to get through the fast and i think it's it would be just foolish to try to bang your head against the wall and uh, try to make it happen so i would always yeah i think it's more productive and more sustainable to gradually increase the fasting period uh to a certain limit and uh, therefore build up this sort of uh, flexibility but i think you know skipping one meal a day is definitely like a, a good starting point uh, for most people, and you know, they would they would uh, get used to it quite fast, uh, although it may be you know uncomfortable at at first. So yeah, I would maybe start off with definitely like even if a person isn't interested in doing intermittent fasting or something like that, then I think it's still quite rational and a wise idea to not eat more than you spend time in a fasted state, if that makes sense. So there are like 24 hours in a day and you shouldn't be spending like over 12 hours in a fed state, you know, if, because it just doesn't make sense. You don't naturally want to at least keep it at a balance and preferably just uh, extend the fasting period 
by a few hours and uh, you know going for 16 hours every day is quite effective and it's also like i think it would be like the optimal kind of balance between daily fasting uh, but even like just fasting for 14 hours would be would be like a good good uh, amount for getting like uh, the minimal effective dose mm-hmm. and, and i want to ask you about exercise either while fasting or not fasting do you lean towards a particular modality of exercise be it strength training or high intensity interval training or more cardiovascular style training do you have any preference and and do you what's the reason for that preference yeah, well, I think the in, in the modern world, especially like the healthiest form of exercise is is probably resistance training and strength training, because uh, we're not like in our in our environment we're not being that active physically. We're not moving around that much, and uh, we're, we're primarily sedentary. So in that kind of situation, and at the same time, we're like surrounded by more and more food and more calories. So it's very easy to get obese if you're not proactively doing anything about it. But with resistance training and strength training, by building muscle and strength, you're kind of creating a bigger buffer zone for you to get away with things like uh, muscle just burns more calories. And muscle also makes you more insulin sensitive. So you can eat more carbs without those carbs negatively affecting you that much. And, uh, and essentially it's easier to stay lean and healthy. So one of the worst things or the, you know, any diet can be useful and good and healthy for you. If it's helping you to uh, maintain like a lean body composition and you're not overeating calories. So any, any form of diet can, uh, and you know, most of the diets work through this mechanism that, they they enable the person to maintain like this lean body composition and uh, and uh, eat around like their maintenance calories, so to say. But with resistance training, you're creating a larger ceiling for that. And and in addition to like body composition, muscle mass is also very useful for general longevity. So uh, as you get older, you're losing your muscle mass because of becoming more resistant to protein intake as well as becoming more sedentary and losing like all the other muscle growth, muscle building hormones or decreasing them. And uh, yeah, just doing maintaining physical activity in the form of resistance training just keeps you youthful for longer and uh, prolongs the health span, so to say. So you can maintain your youthfulness and uh, self-reliance even in your later years and uh, bone density, uh, increased muscle mass, increased insulin sensitivity, even cognition, and mobility, all those things uh, are improved uh, the best the best by resistance training because you don't get those same adaptations from doing cardio. Cardio isn't going to make you build muscle and cardio isn't going to enhance your bones or and to become stronger, so to say. So, um, yeah, I'm primarily doing resistance training, but I also, you know, still incorporate some easy cardio. It's just not like my main focus. And I think that most most people's goals would also be achieved better with resistance training instead of uh, cardio. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're preaching to the choir on that one. Like I tell everyone to do resistance training, everyone to do strength training. I even feel like to a certain degree, you can do strength and resistance training to the point where it starts to impact and improve your cardiovascular health. Mm. Like I've done squat sessions where I feel like I'm more drained than if I was to go out for a run, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy, especially when I'm on programming. Like one in particular did it to me with the Texas method program. I would do these volume days and it was like a five by five squat session at like 75 or 65%. Like at the end of that, I I would just be drained. I'd be like crawling on the ground, like (laughs) dragging myself across the gym. So um, definitely a huge proponent of strength training. Um, So I wanted to ask you about your supplementation regimen. Do you have any particular supplements that you lean towards anything that are like your 
guaranteed go-to. For, for me, it tends to be like creatine uh, and glutamine. I tend to like always have those things. Uh, and occasionally I'll have like BCAAs. Um, but usually I rely on the amino acids from just food, like steaks and all that stuff. But do you have any supplements that you use just on the regular and that you're, they're your go-to? Yeah, I actually do. Like, uh, although I eat like a very nutrient-dense diet and uh, high-quality ingredients, I still gear. Uh, yeah, I use like different supplements that I think give you like an ex extra edge that you really can't get from uh, nutrition for both like performance and longevity purposes. So, for example, creatine. Yeah, is definitely one of the best or most well-researched supplement for both like physical performance and uh, cognition and i think it's definitely should be considered as a, like an anti-aging supplement as well because you know creatine is used for energy production atp production but it's also you know uh involved in the methylation cycle and it's definitely like a like another central component to just general metabolism and and uh creating anything <laughs> creating energy and all those things so uh creatine is one of those things that i take quite regularly i may not take it like every day but uh usually yeah like maybe every other day or something and i naturally i would go through different cycles of taking it and not taking it so based on like my own gut feeling uh but in addition to that i also uh take some glutamine sometimes like uh, maybe not every day, but usually if I'm trying to, in the winter months, again, trying to boost the immune system, trying to keep the gut, gut healthy, etc. Uh, but then again, another, like, uh, this, you can get carnosine from uh, like meat as well, but the amount of that you would have to be eating like a massive amount of uh, meat to get like a, you know, a, a good therapeutic dose of carnosine. From, from that. So carnosine is also very good for, um, it's, 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 it's like an anti-aging supplement that, uh, you know, buffers lactic acid and uh, fights advanced glycation end products and those sort of things. So uh, that's pretty useful that I take on a regular basis. And then there's also, um, I take some digestive enzymes from bio-optimizers and they're also just good for improving uh, digestion but at the same time they they can also be considered like an anti-aging supplement because they're uh, essentially helping to not only break down the food but they also break down any of the uh, food particles floating in your in your system so to say so if you take i usually take them in a fasted state actually instead of taking them with food because while i'm fasting then i don't have like the food waiting there to be broken down so the digestive enzymes would just help to clear out the body from these uh, food particles and uh, nutrients faster, so that I would go into like a, you know, ther therapeutic state of autophagy also faster. So that's my rationale in in that sense. Uh, but uh, maybe another supplement that I would take uh, is um, let me think. Uh, some general like uh, usually in the evening I take like a magnesium and uh, maybe on some nights if I if I'm exposed to like blue light in the evening or if I'm suffering from jet lag or something then I also take like melatonin uh, to fall asleep better. Uh, and recently I've been trying to experiment with some NAD boosters like nicotinamide riboside and uh, those seem to be also pretty pretty effective or I, I do notice like a small difference but uh, I'm also like quite young so my NAD levels are already pretty high so as you get older your NAD decreases and because of that you will also suffer from like lackluster energy production and mitochondrial dysfunction so keeping your NAD levels elevated throughout your lifetime 
is very good for uh, extending health span and preventing like age-related diseases. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think I take any uh, any of these supplements. Uh, that's something I might look into. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I've tried any. Um, <laughs> so I also want to ask you about cold therapy or hot therapy. Do you do either of those two things? I noticed that on your Instagram, you, you did post uh, some content where you were in an ice uh, bath with some people. So. Do you do those things on a regular basis, either cold or hot, sauna or anything like that? Uh, I do take like a sauna pretty much uh, almost every day, uh, at least like an infrared sauna. And uh, a, a traditional sauna I do maybe like once or twice a week. So I'm a pretty huge fan of um, heat, heat exposure. And I do cold less frequently, so to say. So um, I do keep like my house pretty low temperature and I'm not like uh, keeping the central heating on. So I do get naturally exposed to uh, variations in uh, temperature throughout the day. And I do go outside like with uh, fewer clothes sometimes to kind of get, get some fresh air and uh, get some cold. Uh, but I'm, I may do like um, once a week or yeah, once a week I will do like a colder cold shower session where I will just try to get this shivering response to activate uh, brown fat and also just to, uh, you know, uh, create this hormetic effect through the cold. Uh, currently, I haven't been doing like regular ice baths because they're, you know, the closest nearby lake is quite far away and I would have to just, you know, drive there and etc. So I would much rather get it over with uh, like a cold shower. Uh, but uh, I do, usually I would maybe do like once a month I would have like this uh, plunge into a cold river or a lake or something or an ice bath when I'm doing a sauna or something. So that's like the best uh, best combination in my, in my opinion. Like when you're sitting in a sauna, you're getting your sweat on and then you go into the cold and sit there for, for a few minutes. That's like the best feeling afterwards. And I also think you get like a, you get a lot of uh, these, um, these unique benefits. Like uh, you, you activate heat shock proteins from the heat you reduce inflammation and you, you you kind of stimulate the lymph system, and when you go to the colds, then you also activate these uh, other longevity uh, pathways or longevity genes like uh, FOXO proteins, which are also associated with like higher stress adaptation, stronger immune system, reduced inflammation, and uh, yeah, like increased lifespan. And uh, if you do it like in this contrast manner, you go hot and cold, then afterwards when you go back into the heat then yeah like you feel amazing afterwards like your body just releases release you you kind of feel like yeah your blood starts to surge at this very rapid rate and uh, i think that it will you know promote more lymph flow flushes out a lot of gets all the you know fluids moving and just you know mentally it's also like uh, you feel like a million bucks Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that would have the same effect if you did like a hot shower and then a really cold shower that went back to the hot do you think it's similar uh yeah, you would get some benefits from that, but I think it's definitely like a, a smaller degree. So a sauna is definitely a lot hotter than uh, than a warm shower or a hot shower because although the you know in a hot shower the the water is going to start to burn you before it can get you too hot. Like in a sauna, you're sitting there and it's uh, making you sweat, so it's like a slightly different. But you do you still get like the the aspect of uh, alteration between hot and uh, cold from uh, the, the shower. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I don't have a sauna myself. Uh, I'm thinking like my next house, I'll probably build one. 
Um, and I don't even really use the sauna too often, but I know it has tons of benefits and I talk to lots of people that use it. So it's, it's on my list. I definitely do the cold shower thing, but it's usually like I'll have a warm shower and then I'll like during the warm shower, I have to like mentally talk to myself to do the cold shower because some days I'm just not up for it. Like I'm just thinking, well, I could just skip it today. Don't really have to, but like I always talk myself into it. And then after I just feel like amazing. So yeah, one of those mental struggles, I guess. Yeah. I used to back in, back in college, I used to take cold showers every, every day, every morning for like, two years straight or something and uh, I, I did it even on days where you where I was like somewhat sick but uh, it was it was it was still like a mental exercise primarily uh, but afterwards I kind of started to realize that the contrast showers are a lot better and they also feel better so uh, I started doing primarily those ones so uh, doing the hot and the cold <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I don't think I could do like two years multiple years every single day like some days I just skip, especially now we have winter. So it's like, yeah. although when I do take the cold shower and I go outside, I'm like, it's not that cold out, you know, like it yeah. doesn't feel as bad when you actually do it. And and we're about to have like really crazy winter here with like ice and everything. So when that happens, we're going to go take a plunge in the lake because um, yeah, that's just, that's just absolutely, that's the coldest I've ever been in my life is going into like Lake Ontario when it's like iced over at the shorelines. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, so I want to ask you about uh, your meditation. If you have any meditation routine that you that you employ either on a day, daily basis, weekly basis, it doesn't have to be like sitting cross-legged lotus. You could just be walking around with you know mindfulness. But uh, do you have anything to you, that you practice? Uh, I used to meditate more like on a consistent basis. I used to do like transcendental meditation, uh, but at the moment I haven't been doing it uh, that consistently. So I I don't like uh, usually. Before that, I would be, you know, sitting in the morning right after waking up and meditate for like 20 or 30 minutes. But nowadays, I don't really feel that I need to do it, so to say. And uh, I'm kind of implementing these, uh, you know, small pockets of meditation throughout my entire day. And I think the main idea is to kind of try to experience this stillness of mind as well as just complete presence and mindfulness and I, I do experience those states when I'm like writing something every once in a while, uh, when I'm exercising, doing some yoga or handstands, and even like when I'm, you know, brewing a tea or a cup of tea or something. So I'll just always have like this small reminder as a habit that if I have like this small dull moment in a moment in a given day, then I'll just uh, try to take a step back and, uh, you know, just to pay attention of what goes on. And just, yeah, I like to observe for, for, for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of what I've been leaning towards as well, is not so much having like designated times, but I've been doing a lot of just, if I don't have anything to do for the next 5, 15 minutes, it's like, I'll do that, you know, because mm-hmm. I'll come out of that. And, and it's a lot better than taking these, you know, devices and staring at them for, for 15 yeah. minutes. I feel like these things are energy sapping, you know, like they drain the energy. Whereas if I was to go and do like some sort of, you know, quiet meditation or just, you know, just still the mind, as you were saying, I come out of that and I just feel a little bit like I have more energy. Like I feel a little bit more invigorated than if I was to just stare at my, my phone. So yeah, uh, that's kind of what I've been leaning towards as well. Previously I was doing like a morning meditation and an evening one. Uh, and that's not to say I, I'll go away from those, but I think I like what you're saying is, is just to have that throughout the day and just have those little pockets that you can, you can slide in some meditation time because I feel like it's something that, like you have so much information all over us all day long 
that it's like we need to slide in those little things just to break up the the craziness of, of all that information overload. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. I want to ask you as well about uh, psychedelics. If you've had any psychedelic experiences, um, you know, if you want to share those. Uh, no, I don't actually like, I don't have like, I haven't taken any ayahuasca or LSD or something. I have like taken a small amount of magic mushrooms, but uh, I didn't know there's like a huge difference. So I'm kind of a rookie when it comes to psychedelics and such. And uh, so far, I haven't felt the need to do uh, take them either. So to say, so I think uh, most people expect to get some, you know, miraculous, I don't know, epiphany from them or some sort of a yeah, like transformation. But I think the, those things are they're not going to work unless you do the work, so to say, or unless you haven't done the work before that. So, uh, you know, all the other things that we talked about so far, such as uh, discipline, uh, being having certain routines, taking care of your health, uh, being uh, productive and be, being mindful, all those things are kind of prerequisites that you need to have uh, in place. And those things need to be really solid before you can kind of delve into the, the, those uh, psychedelic realms. Mm -hmm. I find a lot of people use the psychedelics, but they don't do the daily work. They don't have any practice yeah. where, you know, doing anything really. It's like they'll just do their nine to five regular mundane routines and then they'll go do some psychedelics and they don't really have, they don't really take much back from that. Like I know a lot of friends of mine, it's exactly like that. Um, mm. Whereas the people that don't use it too often, but do have a daily practice, I find that, yeah, they're a little bit more equipped to deal with, uh, any sort of experience they may have while on psychedelics. I mean, I've done psychedelics many times, um, different types, but uh, I, I feel like it's overwhelming if I wasn't already doing the work on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm not sure how, what I would take away from that. It would just be confusing to me. And then I might just feel the need to go back to understanding again. Um, but I just think that defeats the purpose of, of just living and, and doing that work on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I want to just quickly ask some questions here that were asked on Instagram uh, that I posted earlier today to see if anyone was uh, any questions for you. Um, okay, so let me just have a look at this. All right, so someone asked, here I'll give you their name, Amber Rosie asked, what is one piece of advice or habit you wish to uh, that you oh sorry that you adapted sooner to improve your body and mind? I'm not sure that was worded correctly, but basically, what what's one piece of advice or habit uh, to improve body and mind that you would suggest or you would recommend? Um, I think that um, I wish I learned how to meditate sooner, so to say. And, uh, yeah, like if I say med meditate, then I'm not necessarily meaning like this, yeah, sitting with your crossed legs. I think I, I kind of refer to it, yeah, to this general ability to sit in the moment and just observe and uh, become like meta aware that you are aware <laughs> or that you're, you're observing how you observe and uh, how you're, what kind of a state are you in, so to say, so that you can just... Uh, self-analyze what goes on inside yourself and just uh, be in the moment without like any distractions etc so that's what i would i would i would want i wish i would have learned that ability like already in uh you know in my school and uh high, high school and those sort of things so yeah if you if you could teach your children 
like any meditation practice or just mindfulness practice as soon as possible, then it would uh, drastically accelerate their uh, success and uh, accelerate everything else that they would like to accomplish in their life. Yeah, I think that's a good piece of advice. Is that any, when I was younger, I didn't really do any of that stuff. And I think it would, it would help in terms of at least giving a younger person, guiding them in the direction that they may want to go, um, mm-hmm. you know, guiding them towards their passions or what do they, what do they want to achieve in life. So the next question is, um, how do you get your body fat adapted and how do you know when your body is fat adapted? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. And uh, you, get, you get fat adapted by primarily doing some form of intermittent fasting as well as just reducing your carb intake to a certain extent and uh, controlling it based on the requirements. So if you are physically very active, then you can get away with more carbs. Whereas if you're like insulin resistant and you're sedentary, then you probably can't eat any carbs at all almost. Uh, So yeah, it it depends a lot on the person, but generally uh, some form of actually like slow, slow, like low intensity cardio can be a good uh, promoter of fat adaptation because while you're doing cardio, your body is burning fat for fuel and uh, that just improves the mitochondria's efficiency to use that fat for fuel. And yeah, like some, even on a, yeah, like probably if I, looking back then now, I, the way I became more fat adapted was to do like a low intensity cardio, either in a fasted state or after eating like a low carb ketogenic meal, so to say, so you're in this, in this ketogenic state and in ketosis, and then you increase the exercise demand. So then your body is just forced to ramp up its um, ability to use fat for fuel. And and the way you know that you've made it or, you know, there's no, with fat adaptation, there's not like this specific point that you reach, uh, whereas with ketones, you can measure how many ketones you have. But with fat adaptation, it's more of like a matter of degree. You know, the more you do it, the better it gets or, you know, the easier it gets. Uh, But uh, some some things to uh, notice are just mental well-being and focus during a fast so if you're not feeling tired you're not feeling hypoglycemic and you don't have like energy crashes throughout the day then that means your body is uh, at least like it's more metabolically flexible in some aspects so it's able to swap in between fuel sources and uh, tap into its own body fat for fuel so you can even be fat adapted while eating carbs uh, you just have to condition yourself to make the switch more easily mm. All right, perfect uh, and one more question, and uh, then I'll hop off this, this Instagram thing. This one, I don't know if you'd know how to answer it, but uh, this person, I'll give you their name. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It looks like Paladin, spelled with a three. <laughs> doesn't like to be told what to do. How does he handle people who keep pushing uh, his limits? So basically, he just doesn't like being told what to do. I guess he wants just to be more confident in himself, in his own skin, mm-hmm. in his own decisions. Uh, and you just uh, oh, do you have any advice for that? Uh, I think that uh, like people tend to treat you the way you've taught them to treat you. So if uh, someone is telling you all the time what to do, then it's probably because either that you've you haven't shown the I don't know self resourcefulness or self willingness to do your own things, or they've just yeah like a toxic person or something <laughs> so uh in any case you would uh the way you you can uh, overcome that isn't to become more toxic yourself or to you know insult them or try to do something uh, offensive i think the way you overcome that is to become just 
you know, take more responsibility over your own uh, habits and take responsibility over everything you do. So just become more self-reliant, self-resourceful. Uh, you know, Jordan Peterson has a amazing, amazing uh, advice about this, such as like, you know, rule number one is stand up straight with your shoulders back. And uh, I think he's also saying like, you know, clean up your room. And so, so, so those are the small things. Like if, uh, you know, you have to just be responsible for everything you do, like including your, uh, you know, grooming, self-hygiene, uh, your fitness, your finance, your, I don't know, overall productivity, your success, everything else. You just have to take full control over it and uh, just optimize it. Mm, yeah, I do like Jordan Peterson's uh, simple approach to it. And I did read that book. Um, and, you know, I actually expected more from the book because I got so much out of his lectures. Like, I don't know if you've seen his lecture series, but it's extremely long. Like, it's right. like 20 hours for this one, one series. I think he did like a 15-hour series just breaking down Pinocchio, like the story of Pinocchio. It's yeah. like, uh, it's funny, too, because he's a University of Toronto, a former University of Toronto professor. So uh, not too far from me. I actually wanted to go down there a couple times to see some of his lectures in person. Before they got like before they blew up, because he was charging like twenty five dollars just to sit in on a lecture, whereas now it's like I don't know, like probably two hundred dollars, right. uh, and it's some big huge hall that they're doing. So, you know, I'm a little I'm a little upset with myself. I didn't go when it was smaller, but you know, I'm glad to see people like him just blowing up and getting so popular. Um, so yeah, there's no more questions from Instagram. Uh, I just uh, want to ask you if you have any closing thoughts for anyone that's listening to this. Um, that's just looking to improve themselves. I think you covered a lot in your last response even, um, and I'm sure in a lot of other answers you gave earlier in this, in this episode, but do you have any closing thoughts for anyone that's listening to this or anything you wanted to plug? Um, well, I think that on the, on the topic of what we talked about, then just becoming yeah, more self-reliant and uh, as well as more resilient as a person, so to say. So all these biohacks and fasting and cold and heat, they strengthen your body, but they also strengthen your mind. And uh, in order to, you know, be healthier, health is almost in some aspects, like living longer is also like a side effect of being tougher, so to say. So that's why calorie restriction and that's why fasting and uh, cold and exercise and heat, that's why they promote lifespan and longevity you know your body becomes tougher and your body just survives for longer so if you apply that same mentality in your uh, like your daily life and uh, outside of health like you know your relationships or your uh, productivity and financial success those things then you would yeah definitely see like much more improvement and uh, more results mm-hmm. great piece of advice so where do people find you if they want to subscribe your youtube channel your instagram or anything else yeah, well, uh, my YouTube is Seamland. Uh, my Instagram is also Seamland, and my website is seamland.com. So it's pretty easy. So I'll include those links in the description of this episode, as well as uh, the link to your latest book, because I think you're offering that to people just for the cost of shipping and print. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People have to pay for the uh, printing and the shipping costs, and uh, they'll, they'll get it for free. Perfect. That's a great way to get uh, to get into people's hands. So thank you for taking the time today and I'll let you know as soon as this is up and uh, maybe we can do it again sometime. I look forward to seeing what else you're producing on your YouTube channel and good luck hitting 100,000 subscribers. I look forward to seeing that as well. And then next is 100,000 on Instagram and you go towards a million and uh, I'm excited to see you sharing all this great content with people. Yeah, let's make it happen. 